Hello and welcome to another episode of Red Couch Manx, another 0-0 draw, this time with Crystal Palace. I'm Vivek Jacob, joined by Carl Mascarenas. It's uh, deja vu all over the or all over again, Carl. Yeah, I don't know what else to say, Vivek. Uh, let's move on to the preview for the next game. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it feels like we might as well. I mean, it was it was a really sloppy start. There was a lot of misplaced passes. I mean, I guess before we get into that, let's get into the lineups a bit, just so you know, for the listeners who haven't kept up with the game, who aren't going to watch the game because there is really nothing to watch. Palace were in a 4-4-2 as expected. Still no Wilfred Zaha. He's out injured. They had Ayu and Benteke up front. United, typical 4-2-3-1. David De Gea was out for personal reasons, so we hope that whatever is going on, he is okay. Bailly came in for Lindelof. Nemanja Matic in for Scott McTominay. Edinson Cavani came in for... Daniel James. And yeah, those, those, those first 10 minutes, I thought United were really sloppy. Then the 10 minutes after that, it looked like they had found themselves and created some really nice opportunities that they couldn't quite uh, finish. Matic had a really nice shot in the thir- uh, 13th minute deflected, but forced a really good save. 16th minute, I really thought Marcus Rashford should have done a lot better with a shot that he had. Uh, pass came into him from the left side. He had a clear side of goal, had time, but dragged his shot wide of the left post. 19th minute, there was another nice pass from the left side that came through to Bruno. He swung and missed. Uh, missed quite badly. And after that, I thought, you know, it, it was as dull as you can imagine. And a really disappointing performance overall. I don't want to ask you how you're feeling because I can imagine the frustration is high because this is the third straight goalless draw. But maybe what is Ole not doing that he needs to be doing? What what should he have recognized by now? You know what? Initially, I was extremely frustrated with the fact that we played a 4-2-3-1 against a very unambitious Crystal Palace team who have been struggling to even get shots on goal at home. So spare a thought for those Crystal Palace fans having to watch their team week in, week out. But then I looked at the bench and I saw who we had, what the options were. And we had four defenders on there. We had Lindelof, Tellez, Twanzebe, Brandon Williams. You had obviously the spare keeper win Grant. And then from an attacking side, we had Daniel James, Scott McTominay, Shortire, and Diallo. So not that much to pick for him. You know, this was a game where if Van de Beek was fit, I could see him coming on and making a difference and most likely even starting. It's just, I mean, you spare a thought for this guy, man. He's got some really bad luck because this is when United could really use someone like a Van de Beek and he's unavailable. So this goes to show we were all sucked in by potentially fighting for a title But then you look at the squad that we have and you look at the squad that City has. They've had some pretty big injuries. You've got De Bruyne going down. As you mentioned in the last episode, Vivek, you had Aguero barely playing any games this season. And they go on a 21-game winning run and don't even, you know, bat an eyelid. Everything's par for the course. You know, I was was thinking about this, and obviously this is a United podcast, but... 
21 matches in a row, 15 league fixtures in a row that they've won. This has to be one of the most impressive win streaks in history when you consider that this is a COVID season. When you look at the fact that the fixtures are so congested, like I look back on Liverpool last season, what they were able to accomplish before the pandemic hit. I look at what City is doing now. You, I have nothing for respect for it. I mean, outside of obviously the rivalry, like you can't do anything but respect it. You know, it's it's a masterstroke what Pep has done because he's not only are they on this win streak, but he's changed the way they play. He's changed the philosophy. That is not easy to do in one season. United have been trying to get back to their philosophy from the Ferguson days. How many managers has it taken and how many years has it taken? Just to show you the level of difficulty. He said openly, you know what? When we have the ball, we need to do less running. How many managers tell their players to do that and it working out for them? He said, let the ball do the work. We cannot run as much. Given the number of fixtures in such a short space of time, we won't be able to handle it. He's changed the philosophy and look at what's happening. The results are fantastic. So you tip your hat to Pep to to be able to have the cojones to change after not winning the title, not winning the Champions League. So, hey, you know, his, his legacy is on the line. And for him to be able to do that is is really brave. And I think a big reason that's possible is because of the perspective he has. I watched an interview where he said the biggest thing that he acknowledges is the fact that what worked last year will not necessarily work this year. What didn't work last year might work this year. You have to constantly evolve. You have to constantly find different solutions, new solutions, find ways that can work and adapt to the situation in front of you. And that is something where Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is sorely lacking right now. I mean, match after match, 4-2-3-1, 4-2-3-1, 4-2-3-1. When you can see 0-0 after 0-0 after 0-0, I said on the previous episode, when we were previewing this Crystal Palace match, I wanted to see revenge. I wanted to see intent and payback for the 3-1 defeat early in the season. Especially when you look at the fact that it's very unlikely that you're going to pick up points against a City team on fire on Sunday. They absolutely should have been coming into this match saying three points or bust. We absolutely have to win this match. And that desire, that drive just wasn't there. And frankly, frankly, the tactical nous wasn't there. So Vivek, you asked the question of what should Ole be doing differently? Now, given the players that he had at his disposal, it's very hard because the only person in this team with any sort of creativity is Bruno. Clearly, Palace threw three, four bodies at him at any point in time. Mind you, I think that Bruno, he's tired. No matter what Ole says, he's tired because you could see him. Usually, whenever he's not getting the ball, he drops deeper. It looked like he didn't have the legs to do that. He stayed in that, you know, just in front of the halfway line in the attacking side and he wasn't moving as much as he usually moves it almost looked like he didn't have the legs today and if Bruno isn't up for it it you can see other players dropping their heads I mean Marcus Rashford was absolutely shambolic today he didn't have his touch he didn't look interested in the game I really hope he changes it. I mean, he is a Manchester lad and I'm hoping he gets up for the game against City because we're definitely going to need him. And once Bruno is marked out of the game, we don't seem to have a plan B to your point. What can we do to change it? 
okay, I would have said, hey, bring one Mata on. He's injured. He's not there. Bring Van der Beek on. So the more and more I've thought about it, I do empathize with Ole because, quite frankly, he didn't have anything. What would you have done differently, Vivek? To me, it's about showing that intent, that positive intent of trying to find a solution. That's, I think, the thing that has frustrated me more and more over the course of these 0-0 draws, right? It almost seems like there's an acceptance that this is an okay result. That's what frustrates me. And so what I would have done differently is, yeah, there's been a couple of times where it has not worked out for the team well and the formation has not paid off, but at least it will show that you're trying something different. And you talk about the resources available, at least it would have played to the strengths, played to the resources that you have available. And I'm talking about the 3-5-2. So sure, you don't have those attacking players, the Juan Matas and the Donny van de Beeks and the Paul Pogba's available. But say you play a 3-5-2 in a match where you know Crystal Palace are going to have men behind the ball. What did we see throughout this match? We saw Crystal Palace, men behind the ball, 4-4-2 formation, very rigid, very compact, very solid in the back. And United, frankly, most of the time, we're outnumbered. If you can play a back three, then it allows you to play to Alex Tellez's strength. So say, for example, you have Luke Shaw behind him for cover. You have Alex Tellez ahead of him. On the right side, maybe now you can fit in a Dan James. And you can trust that Dan James will help out that person who's on the right side. Whether it be Juan Bissaka, you know, whether you go with whoever else it may be on that right side. And so those are the things that I would just like to see a bit more risk-taking. Right now, it looks to me like a fear of failure. And that is something that cannot be associated with this club. I think tactical analysis is a great point to make. If you went with that 3-5-2, the only thing I would say is that Crystal Palace were clogging up the, the mid and the center of the pitch. The only way we were going to get any sort of result was coming down the wings. You saw our best plays all came down the wing and it was particularly... Luke Shaw with some fantastic ground crosses where, like you mentioned, Rashford, I mean, that shot should be on target. Come on. You got to hit the target. That's the least you should be doing. Bruno, complete air kick. Cavani, you could tell, hasn't played for a while. And yeah, he was looking to make those runs, but just no penetration whatsoever. I think... So Juan Bissaka did have that one great cross that we should highlight. Again, low across the ground, had that whip on it. If... Joel Ward doesn't intercept. Cavani is smashing that into the back of the net. That arguably could have been the best chance, but good defensive work there. When Dan James came on, you could see some penetration. I thought, you know, Mason Greenwood playing on the right, his natural tendency is to always cut in. And by that time, you're buying the defense a little bit more time to get set. And we just cannot afford that. You saw Dan James go down right away and create that space. It's just... I think this is one of those instances if we did have the 3-5-2 and you don't have both your defensive mids sitting at least a good 10-20 yards behind the likes of Bruno, you get more people in the box. And so that 45-degree cut cross, somebody's on the end of that who can actually shoot the ball. And I think that's where that 3-5-2 comes into play. At the very least, it should have been a 4-4-2. I don't think you need players sitting back that much. I mean, Benteke, he's not going to outrun somebody for pace. You've also got Eric Bailly in the back who can manage that pace. Jordan Ayew, he runs, you know, for more than 20, 30, 40 yards. He's going to lose the ball by himself. I I completely agree with you. I think I was very frustrated that nothing was happening until the 72nd minute. That's when we saw the first sub. Yeah. And to your point, 
it completely looked that we were content with one point, which is the the most disappointing aspect. Now, I don't think we need to spend any more time on this. <laughs> In terms of who you were going to give the Cantona collar, who would you pick? Honestly, because I, I'm so disappointed with everyone across the pitch, uh, outside of maybe Luke Shaw, I'll probably go with Dean Henderson. I mean, he had that crucial save in the 90th minute. There were other solid saves that he made, that, that he made look easy. He had one uh, rasping drive that, that he just caught cleanly, and I was impressed uh, by that. So Even his corner, right? He just caught it out of the air, no problem. Yeah, exactly. So I think his handling in this match was really impressive. So I'm happy to give the Cantona caller to him. I don't know if you had anyone else in mind. The only two candidates for me were Dean Henderson and Luke Shaw. And for the reasons you pointed out, I'm completely fine giving it to Dean Henderson. What about the Beckham boot? So before we go to the Beckham boot, I just have a quick question for you with regards to Dean Henderson. Obviously, this was a bit of a surprise appearance for him to be playing the league fixture. And obviously, De Gea is dealing with personal issues. But potentially, you're looking at a decent run of games here for Henderson. Because say, for example, De Gea is not available Sunday against Man City. He gets that fixture. March 11th, for sure, he will play the Europa, uh, league, fix- uh, Europa league fixture against AC Milan. Then maybe he sits out against West Ham, but again, he'll be back for the second leg against AC. And then the next match against uh, Leicester is a cup fixture, FA Cup fixture. This is a decent run uh, for Dean Henderson. It it looks like it will be ahead. And so I I wonder, you know, what that is going to be like for David De Gea to deal with. It's a fantastic point, Vivek. There's a big run of fixtures where he can... This is basically what he's been asking for. Give me a run of fixtures where I can prove myself. And quite frankly, this is, you know, where we're going to determine if he is a Manchester United goalkeeper or he's just a Premier League goalkeeper. And let me tell you, if he has a good showing, makes some fantastic saves, has a lot of clean sheets, he's an English goalkeeper. You mentioned this, Vivek, in the last episode. (laughs) The pressure on the incumbent David De Gea is going to be at an all-time high when he comes back. And It's a very difficult position. We don't know what this personal matter is. And so the frame of mind that he's in, coming in and then maybe if he makes a mistake, getting stick for it, it's a a tough position for him to be in. So we'll see how it all plays out. Uh, But at the end of the day, it's a good problem to have. Definitely. Speaking of the bad problems United had (laughs) in this match, Beckham Boot, you know, we discussed uh, during the game that Marcus Rashford was having an absolute shocker of a game. We highlighted that big miss that he had in the first half. Seemed like, again, there were too many of those runs where he's a racehorse with those blinders on. And he sees nothing to the left of him, nothing to the right of him. He's just going straight. And he barely even seems to notice that there's a defender in front of him. And the ball is gone. Vivek, you know what's funny? The amount of fog that was there on display was hard for us to see. I think maybe we're getting a picture of what he sees when he's running. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you're spot on with that one, Carl. So very disappointing performance from Marcus Rashford. I don't know if you had anyone else in mind possibly for the Beckham boot. No, I thought, you know, Rashford and the only other person was Ole. But after thinking about it a little bit more, given the options, I think Marcus Rashford is the... uh, Standout with a Bruno Fernandez coming in second for me. Mm, 
Yeah, I, I think that's worth mentioning because I thought he was poor against Chelsea and this was another poor performance from him. You know, th- th- there's obviously the, the validity in the point of there not being enough creative options around him. And so it's easier to snuff him out. But just overall, his touches, the quality has dropped off. The intent to an extent has dropped off. There were a couple of times he received the ball on the edge of the box and you're expecting the shot and he didn't shoot. And so I thought that was interesting. Yeah, maybe he's not feeling, you know, quite as uh, great as he was earlier in the season, but it's a, it's a tough it's a tough go with Bruno struggling and Pogba out, that's for sure. Yeah, okay, so Marcus Rashford, Beckham Boot, noisy neighbor? Noisy neighbor for me, I thought if there was anything that was a pleasure to watch in this match, it was Eze when he was on the ball. I mean, he glides with the ball at his feet. Uh, I thought the way he was running at United's defenders, the, the poise he showed, it seemed like it was almost impossible to take the ball off him. So I was really impressed with his performance. I don't know if you have anyone else in mind. The only other person I had in mind was Joel Ward. I thought he had a very accomplished performance there at the back, including that goal-saving interception. That was yeah. on a plate for Cavani, and that was going in the net. Ward won several headers. He didn't allow us to turn, get in behind. So those that that would have been my candidate. Yeah, I mean, I think it's fair enough. It's a toss-up. Maybe, you know, I've said before, especially when there are clean sheets, we should probably lean towards the defenders because when the goals come in, we always lean towards the forward players. So fair enough. I'm, I'm happy to go with Joel, Joel Ward in this one. Awesome. Okay. So that uh, more or less wraps up the game. Now, before we, we get into the preview, one question that I had for you, because this is quite frankly a preview for United without Paul Pogba and we are really feeling his absence and for all those people including myself who was hey you know good riddance to Pogba if he wants to leave based on the attitude and what was happening early in the season are we willing to accept our fate given the current squad and how important of a player is Paul Pogba to Manchester United a Paul Pogba that wants to be a Manchester United and wants to impress everyone that's watching is worth his weight in gold. I mean, we see the difference that he makes to the team. We see, especially positionally, when he can play in that CDM role next to whether it be Fred or Scott or Matic, he provides that creative spark that is sorely lacking. If, you, if you're going to put pressure on Bruno, guess what? Pogba is there to release the outlet. So he is immensely important if he has a desire to be at the club whether that's true remains to be seen. And if he wants to move on, that's just a situation United will have to deal with. And hopefully they can recoup a decent chunk of the fees that they paid for him. But it's clear to me, in terms of United's priorities for the summer, you have to get a player who can play the number six role and spray the ball around, who can create those outlets, who can create space, get attacking players into good positions and just have that creativity to his game. And then the other position, of course, to me, is center back. You strengthen the center back position, it reduces the need to go into every match with two CDMs. Yeah, I agree with you. You know, just a couple of stats to show you some of the importance of Paul Pogba. He got injured on February 6th in the Everton game. 
Since then, United have played eight games in all competitions. We've won three and drawn five. Off the games that we've won, one was against Real Sociedad, 4-0. One was against Newcastle, 3-1. And one was in the FA Cup where we beat West Ham 1-0 in extra time. The rest of the games you're looking at, West Brom, we drew 1-1. Chelsea, 0-0. Crystal Palace, 0-0. Real Sociedad, 0-0. <laughs> Right, there's, there seems to be a, a bit of a trend here in terms yep. of our yep. attacking intent and being able to score a goal. You know, these small things can make a big difference. When Paul Pogba is playing in the team and he's playing as a, a DM, what's the difference? He's not stuck to our center backs. He's playing at least 10 to 20 yards up the pitch. He's between the center backs and he's between Bruno. But guess what he can do? When he gets the ball, he has the strength. He has the vision and he can break through the lines for the other team's press or midfield because he has that one move. He has that confidence. Yes, he can lose the ball. Yes, he can shield it too much and lose it. And then the other team's on a counter and they can score. And I don't think I was as appreciative of what he can do going forward where he has that confidence until his ab- absence. And I think that is a small difference where when he breaks that line, now the other team's scrambling. And he has the presence of mind to continue that tempo to pass the ball forward. There's no lateral pass going. There's a long diagonal going, which nobody else can do. And that completely opens up the other team because of our pace. And that's where Bruno gets that space that he doesn't have anymore. And that's something that Bruno cannot do, right? Like when you look at Bruno's strengths, why is he constantly playing those one touches, those quick touches? He doesn't have the pace, the strength, to drive from one box to another. So everything has to be quick. That's why as soon as he gets the ball, he's looking up because he knows he's someone that needs to let the ball do the work. Pogba can do the work. And so while you might look at him and think he's all fancy and this and that, his ability to go from box to box actually makes him a workhorse. And so you're really seeing the value that he brings to the club. You really see the attributes that make him a world-class player. And yeah, United can't get him back soon enough. Ole said that he's he's going to be out for another two to three weeks. So he's definitely out for that City game. Oh, which yeah. Is, which is a real shame. And uh, anything else you wanted to talk about before we get into the preview for the big one? No, I think we can get into it. We can get right into that Man City match. So seeing the run they're on... Before we talk about the team that we think should play against City, mm-hmm. who do you think is going to play for City? There are a wealth of options available. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's it's. You talk about good problems to have. I mean, Pep just has that match after match, right? It's just you know pick and choose, and I think that's an interesting way to look at how United are progressing in say the seasons to come because Pep has the opportunity to make selections based on how he wants to tactically approach the opponent for Ole. He's making selections just based on riding the hot hand. Oh, Cavani's playing well. Yeah. Let's play him. Oh, if Marshall has a good run, we need him. Oh, on the right side, Greenwood's in form now. Okay. We'll play him. You know, it's not necessarily that, He's going, he has the privilege of just saying, hey, this is what I need for this match. Now, having said that, for City, 
it'd be interesting for me to see if Raheem Sterling plays because he doesn't have a good record against United. He's someone that I thought Guardiola recognized his record and moved him centrally and even a bit to the right side to get the best out of him. And I thought that was a great tactical move that helped City win that League Cup fixture. So what he does with him is going to be interesting because Kevin De Bruyne is back now. You've got Ilkay Gundogan in form. You've got Phil Foden. Gabriel Jesus has just scored a couple of goals. So Sterling might actually be the odd man out in this one. Interesting take. I think that Sterling is definitely going to play. (laughs) I think the last game he had in the Carabao Cup, he did a very good job. And that's the one that City won. So I think I think Sterling will play in in my opinion. It and Juan Bissaka will be happy. Yeah, Juan Bissaka will be happy. I think you know with City at the back, they're gonna go with their Diaz and Stones that they've been on yeah. fire not just defensively, but they seem to be popping up with goals now. Yeah, an added bonus. So watch out from the set pieces. Uh, United's Achilles heel. United should know that better than anyone. They conceded a set piece and a goal to John Stones. Yeah, and that was the difference, right? Yep. Yeah, you, you got Cancelo on the right, you got Zinchenko on the left. I think City will continue to go with that. And then when it comes to the attacking midfielders, because they do play a 4-3-3 most of the time, mm-hmm. definitely Kevin De Bruyne is going to play. I think Rodri will play. I won't be surprised if Fernandinho plays because Pep does give United the respect when it comes to that counterattack, and he, he goes a little bit more defensive. Yep. And then... Up top, man, this is anybody's guess. If you got you got the choice between Mares, Jesus, Sterling, Foden, Gundogan, I mean, I could keep going. But uh, since since I'm saying that Sterling's going to play on the left wing, I'll go with Mares on the right wing so he can cut in. And then that leaves Jesus or Foden. I would lean towards Jesus, but that one's anybody's guess. What about you? So I actually think in that mid three, you're not going to see Kevin De Bruyne. Mm-hmm. I think you're going to see, you, you're right about Fernandinho, but I think you're going to see Gundogan there. And then in the front three, I think Kevin De Bruyne is going to play as a false nine. And that's where you'll see uh, Phil Foden and you'll see, um, actually, I changed my mind. Uh, I'll say Bernardo Silva plays centrally and then Gundogan plays on the left. Okay, so who do you have as your front six? So the front six is basically Fernandinho middle, Rodri right, Silva left, and then up front, Gundogan, Kevin De Bruyne, Phil Foden. Regardless, that is a handful, to say the least. Yeah. I mean, chances are Sterling is the one who gets that start on the left. Yeah. But I'm going with a bit of a gamble here. How does United respond to that? (laughs) So, yeah, United, I mean, I think, uh, even though I hate to say this, but it's most likely going to be Lindelof and Maguire at the back. You've got Shaw on one side. You've got Aaron Wan-Bissaka on the other. I think uh, Ole kind of showed his hand with Scott on the bench today and James on the bench. I think those two will be starting. So you've got Fred and Scott in the, uh, you know, defensive midfield positions. And then on the right-hand side, you got Dan James. In the middle, you got Bruno. On the left, you got Rashford. And then up top, it's a toss-up really between Mason Greenwood and Cavani. 
Yeah, so that's an interesting one. So you think Lindelof is back ahead of Bayi? I do, I do. I think that's fair enough. I, uh, I'll agree with you on that. Lindelof, Maguire, Shaw, Wan-Bissaka, Henderson, depending on what De Gea's status is, Scott and Fred, Bruno in front of them, Rashford on the left, James on the right. I'm actually, I, I actually think he will go with uh, Greenwood on the right. I think, I think we'll see the same same quartet. The reason I went with James is because Cancelo is a attacking option for Pep, and he's used him coming yeah. in centrally. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like Dan James will do a much better job of defending him. That's fair enough. That's fair enough. I just, uh, I just think that Greenwood has been doing well enough defensively, and in terms of the threat from an attacking sense, you know, I could see them having a similar approach to when they beat Liverpool and those connections, those switches in play that we saw between Greenwood and Rashford, I could see that coming into play because City will set the tempo. This is, I think, going to be a typical United approach where they're hoping to counterattack under Ole. And so I think they'll play for that a bit more. But you are right, James. I mean, he's been playing well enough to start this match. That there's no question of. And he will have the rest edge over Greenwood. So, yeah, I think it's just a matter of seeing what plays out. What do you think the result's going to be? I will say 3-1 to City. All right, so you think we'll get a goal on the counter. Yeah. I could see this being a very cagey affair, ending probably 1-0 to City. Because, uh, yeah, I I could just see this being one of those matches where City are going to apply the pressure and because of the form they're in, they're going to get that early goal and and then it's going to force United to come out and then they're just going to be more and more exposed. All right. It sounds like uh, either way, it'll give us a good sense of where this United team really stands when it comes to the champions elect and what United need to do in the transfer market to catch up. Yeah, I, I feel like we have a pretty good idea, but maybe maybe this is the one that <laughs> stamps it home, uh, just how, how big the divide is. That's going to wrap it up for this episode. A reminder, we are on Twitter and Instagram at RedCouchBanks. If you enjoy the show, go ahead and hit that subscribe button and join us after every match. Reviews and ratings are greatly appreciated. On behalf of Carl and myself, thank you for listening to Red Couch Manx. <laughs>